This is episode 117 of the Beyond the Food Show, and today we're going to discover together how body kindness can be an alternative to self-suiting with food with a very special guest, a new friend of mine, Rebecca Scritchfield. Are you ready, ladies? Let's do this. My name is Stephanie Dodier, clinical nutritionist. I reversed my diagnosis of anxiety, depression, adrenal fatigue, and obesity by going beyond the food. I can tell you one thing, that willpower, discipline, and deprivation aren't the permanent solution to transforming your relationship to food. So how do you leave overeating, emotional eating, food craving, and binging behind you so you have the food freedom to achieve all of your goal and be happy now? As a top 25 alternative health podcast in the world, this is the Beyond the Food Show. Hey ladies, this is Stephanie Dodzi, and today I found a new friend. Her name is Rebecca. She's an award-winning health at every size dietitian and an exercise physiologist. And she recently wrote a book that came across my path and the book title is Body Kindness. Rebecca also holds the Body Kindness podcast. And when this book came across my path, totally by quote unquote coincidence, and you know, I don't believe in coincidence, everything happens for a reason, I was in awe because the message was so beautiful. And the way that Rebecca puts it is very simple. And the reason for that is because of her own journey with body kindness. You see, what most people don't realize, most of us, and maybe a percentage of you, is that there's a direct correlation between our overall happiness and how we feel about our body. We can never be truly happy while maintaining hatred towards our physical body. And hatred is as simple as non-acceptance of our current body, our physical body. And this is why we keep searching and searching and searching for a solution to fix our body so we can finally be happy because what we're really chasing is happiness, right? What's hiding underneath this goal of fixing our body is us being happy. That's what we want. And some of us have been chasing for 30 years, 20 years, and we keep looking in the same place for the solution that doesn't exist. And the solution, as Rebecca put it in her book, is simply body kindness, is accepting ourselves today. And this is a practice. This is something we have to relearn because we've lost it in those years of dieting. So I'm very excited to be sharing Rebecca's philosophy with you in her book, and also a very special workshop that she has coming up. So I'm going to tease you with that and let you listen to the interview. But before we get into this, I just want to thank all of you who attended the first ever public release of How to Stop Overeating Without Willpower and Discipline, my new virtual workshop that happened Tuesday the 13th last week, for those that are listening live, it was an absolutely phenomenal experience. The ladies attending had 
aha moment, nearly, well, I don't want to say all, but we receive a flood of email the moment after the workshop was finished and the next morning telling us of how mind-blown and amazing the information is. So based on all that feedback and all of you who attended, I have decided to repeat the virtual workshop, How to Stop Overeating Without Willpower and Discipline. So there's going to be version 2.0, February the 19th. So Monday, February the 19th, 2018, if you're listening live at 8 p.m. EST. And you can go to the show notes at stephaniedozier.com slash 117 or very simply to stephaniedozier.com slash webinar and register directly there. So it's first name and email address. It's totally free and it's about an hour. And based on the feedback, it is something you don't want to miss. So I hope to see you on the workshop. But in the meantime, I want you to listen to my interview with Rebecca and stay till the end till we talk about her new teaching that talk about radical self-acceptance. You don't want to miss that. So if you're ready, ladies, let's do this. Welcome to the show, Rebecca. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me today. It's a pleasure to have you. And I know the listener are going to benefit tremendously from what you're bringing to the plate because you've been there. You have a journey in this world of weight and diet and body acceptance. And I think that will make you very powerful as a teacher. So let's get started in understanding what is your journey with weight? And I read some stuff with you and you said that you had a humble beginning, but your mom was always telling you, I just want you to be happy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's one of the gifts from my mother was to focus on happiness. And I take that gift with me today. However, what's very interesting is that my dieting journey started early. I was one of my first memories was being nine and in school. And one of my classmates said, that we should try to weigh under a certain number. And, you know, I looked up to her and she looked beautiful and all these things. And she said we could do it together. And so literally it started like that. We just ate less food at lunch. And it wasn't the only thing that was happening, but that is so young. And I would say through the years, I ended up trying all different types of things. But it wasn't like I was never diagnosed with an eating disorder, but we also struggled financially. So we did not have health insurance. And back then, I honestly don't know. It's still hard now these days to get diagnosed properly for mental health concerns. So I don't even know if that would have mattered. But let's just say that my mom often dieted. Sometimes we would diet together say when I was in my teens, like most teenagers, I thought my body was wrong. I had a particular problem just berating myself for my thighs and I have flat feet and I'm pigeon toed and, and, <laughs> and all these foot things, which just also instantly is going to guarantee you that your thighs are going to rub together no matter what. And just being shorter in stature and unfortunately, not getting attention from boys in school, I would direct that toward I'm inadequate, maybe I should fix my body. And I even had family members who I don't think they meant to cause harm, but they said things like, oh, look what you have to look forward to and pointing at other family members in their size. So I was taught what to fear, basically like a fat phobia, 
early on. And I took that to mean that thinness equals health. And when I was pursuing a degree in nutrition and exercise physiology, I took it to mean that I was really helping people build better health by helping them focus on weight loss and minimizing their weight. And so for me and for my schooling, that meant you prescribe a diet. And it turns out that's absolute misery. (laughs) And it's interesting because I was reading a stat and I did some observation when I went through nutrition school, but the stat I found a couple days ago when I was preparing with the interview said that there's an international study in 14 countries that found that a whopping 77% of nutrition students feel they have an eating disorder or their classmates have one. I would not be surprised by that. And you know, from looking at my group, I can tell you that I could see 75% of the class having not maybe a diagnosed eating disorder, mm-hmm. but a distorted relationship to food, hence the attraction to nutrition. Mm-hmm. I think you're absolutely right on that. There was a recent study in the US focused on orthoexia, or that, mm-hmm. which is, it's not a clinical diagnosis, but it has been defined by a medical doctor, an unhealthy obsession with healthy eating. And I do think one day it will actually be a clinical diagnosis. It's just in order to get there, you have to have time and studies and evidence. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it takes a while to really get something as a diagnosis, but even without it, it just makes sense if you look around in our world, we have been taught to fear food and eating and our eating habits and what's in this in a really, really unhelpful way. Like I am a dietitian. I love food and nutrition, but it has taken a really wrong turn where, you know, look at something like Whole30, which is hugely popular. And on the very first page, it says every bite of food is either adding to your health or taking away from it. I mean, that's just introducing fear mongering and a phobia. And it's just not simply true. But yet this is the world that we live in where we feel like we can live forever if we just focus on our health and well-being. And really it's a distraction from actually really living a whole meaningful life. Yes. And meanwhile, that we're focusing on that and we're not focusing on life, our soul is speaking to us through our desire for food, trying Mm -hmm. to realign us to focus on what's really important instead of Mm -hmm. just the food. And it becomes this vicious circle that we're in. Yeah, absolutely. And so if you are depriving yourself of nourishment and energy, so whether you're trying to eliminate food groups or cut calories, and you notice that you have increased cravings or you feel like there are times, and usually for people it's in the afternoon or later in the evening, but you feel there are times it's like you're not driving the bus, somebody else is, and they're sending you right to the refrigerator. There's a good chance that is a biological trigger. Like you simply are over managing your food and your body is saying, please feed me. And then mm-hmm. of course, there's also emotional triggers, which could happen even if you are not dieting anymore, you could still deal with emotional triggers. Usually you get an intersection of the physiological deprivation that leads to these feelings of uncontrolled eating. And a lot of that can come from just the mental overthinking of good and bad and rules and what should I follow that you just get, okay, now I'm underfed, my brain needs nourishment. And by the way, I'm exhausted. I don't want to make any more decisions. And if food is the thing that you've taught yourself to use to soothe your emotions, because the whole reason why you're trying to lose weight is that I'm not good enough. Now you've got this, what I call a downward spiral, 
where you're likely to have negative emotions lead to poor self-care choices. And it's not because you don't know what to do. It's because you were really disconnected from your well-being and from what your body truly needs from you. And we'll get to spiral up and down because I think that's a very interesting concept. Mm-hmm. I just want to dial back sure. to explain to the listeners. So you did your degree in nutrition. You were then that diet mindset where your body wasn't good enough. Although your mom was telling you, like, I just want you to be happy. Mm-hmm. The environment mm-hmm. around you kind of constructed your mind to believe that you weren't, even if at home you were told that you were, and you Mm -hmm. even went into fitness training, right? You have a Mm -hmm. degree in it. Is that a consequence as well of the diet mentality you were part of? Yeah. I mean, again, it's like, I think that it was health, health is good and health is important. And I still truly value health. It's just our diet culture upheld So it's the minutes of physical activity you can do. It's how much muscle can you see when you flex? So there was a very strong aesthetic purpose. So I became certified as a personal trainer and aerobics instructor because I thought, hey, this would be a great way to make some money in college and I like health and I'll get some exercise. So again, it's positive intentions. But when you look at today's fitspo, it was still like that back then. It just, we didn't have social media to amplify it as much, but buns of steel, right? Like yeah. that was the workout yeah. video I did. So we it was the, clearly like, talking. Colorful leotard and then yeah. the big hair, right? Oh, as the bigger, the better. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, and I really do think it was kind of one foot in one paradigm and one foot in the other. I hadn't heard of anything about body positivity or self-acceptance at all. So it was tightly aligned that your weight equals your health and that you should focus on what you're eating and physical activity. But there wasn't much messaging from any of my academic training about positive psychology, about joy, about happiness, about well-being, even really about how humans actually change their habits. (laughs) I know. I mean, it's kind of crazy how inadequate it really is, the traditional training. And what's crazy is you did the traditional model as a dietitian. I did holistic Uh nutrition, which is more in the alternative. And even in that field, we were taught like 12 hours of eating psychology. Oh, yeah. Wow. That's it. Yeah. So you leave school and you have to figure it out on your own on how to coach people. And it's coming from a place of you being in nutrition because you're already obsessed Mm -hmm. about food. So many of us are out there teaching people to be orthorexic. Oh, for sure. I mean, it's really part of why there's a cultural problem right now is because where are people supposed to go? Mm -hmm. And it's in the headlines. It's everything from where do we see size diversity in our television shows and in our newscasters? And I can think of Chrissy Metz, who's on This Is Us. It's very popular yeah. right now, but she has a storyline where she struggles with her weight. And so it would be nice to have more visibility what our population truly represents. And 67% of women in America are a size 14 and higher. But if you were to take a look at what we're exposed to and what we're presented as this is healthy, we're not nearly there. And that exposure matters because we continue to drive home the fact we do compare and despair. Like we're not good enough because we don't look like that. We're not cleansing like that. And then that can lead to us to reduced hope and confidence that we have autonomy over our own 
self-care behaviors. And so it actually leads to doing nothing. (laughs) The overwhelm of trying to do too much and looking at what looks is presented as perfect leads us to just not take any action at all. Well, it's one of the main self-sabotage behavior, which is procrastination. Mm -hmm. which is usually following perfectionism. Mm -hmm. And then you fall into procrastination because like, what the heck I'm broken because I'm the Mm -hmm. only one that's like this. Mm. Right. Yeah. I'm glad that you brought up broken because it's a very important word. It is how most of my clients feel when they come in. So uncertain, just like, I don't know what to do from here, but I know I can't eat another chicken breast and steamed broccoli (laughs) and call that healthy. Like, you know, it might have nutritious things in it, but that is deprivation to me now. And they do, they feel a sense of brokenness. And I don't know if you're familiar with the Japanese art of kintsugi. Is that the folding of the paper? No, what this is, is when they break a possession, like, like a prized porcelain possession they will actually repair the item and they fill it in with gold. And the idea is that this item is actually more beautiful because of its brokenness. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, I love it. It's called life experience, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We get broken and shattered and some more intense than others. And it's not about comparing, oh, I've got the most trauma in my life, but just know that we all have our own brokenness. We all have ways we were wronged. We all go through our journeys, getting to our better place. But imagine if you could feel, you know, you could acknowledge the sense of feeling broken, but then in how you chose to put yourself together, you actually become renewed, more valuable and more appreciated right? In whatever definition of beauty is to you because of what you've been through. That's empowering. And that's why the body positive movement is so important. And I know a lot of the listener aren't even familiar with that. And we're not mm-hmm. going to go down that path today. Sure. Sure. But it's extremely important because it brings forward what we don't see in media, which is mm-hmm. we're not perfect. We're not meant to be perfect. We're meant to have a broken part of ourselves that we are, I don't want to say putting back together, but that we're healing with gold. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what's the haha moment for you in your life? Like, you're now a dietitian, you're an mm-hmm. exercise specialist, you've dieted since the age of nine, you're mm-hmm. in the, that world like 100%. Mm-hmm. What happened? Yeah. What was that moment that triggered the awareness? Yeah, you know, it was several things that all kind of culminated, like boom, boom, boom for me. Mm-hmm. So I'll just go through them real quick. Yeah. One was I was realizing that I was taking my clients hard earned money. I was failing them. I mean, frankly, I call it failing. And what I mean by that is before there were Fitbits, there was this clinical device. They ended up creating a consumer device. It was called the body media armband. And actually, I believe that when it came out, they ended up buying the device to kind of take over the market. But at any rate, I would put this armband on them and be like, here you go. You're going to log your calories and I'm going to monitor your movement. And I'm going to know what you do all the time. This is support. And again, if you think about it, a person coming, feeling like they couldn't trust themselves, they could put their trust in me. And so I put like basically a dog tag GPS on them and they would diligently log. And when they would like typical dieting for several weeks, they would lose some weight and cheers and cheers and cheers and encouragement. 
And then there would be one, say, pizza night and just a typical pizza, maybe even some salad added in, but just live in your life. And then a few days later, come back in and then either no weight loss or a pound up or whatever, and then just tears. And so here I was thinking, we got to be able to enjoy pizza in our life, but then also consoling. It's like I was upholding the idea that you are valuable based on this number. And honestly, I knew nothing about the more times you diet, the higher your body mass index is likely to be. This particular client I'm thinking of with the pizza night was actually a marathoner. I mean, a marathoner. And she was at a higher weight though. And so it's like, here I am as a dietitian and an exercise physiologist, and I would try to encourage the training, but I also upheld the idea. I never said the exercise is good regardless of your weight. And that research actually was just another recent study that showed that, that researchers want people to stop the message that through movement, you should lose weight because it doesn't happen biologically and you don't need to lose any weight to increase your health benefits. And that goes for even people who are at the high weights, you know, who identify with obesity. And so it's a reality check what I know now compared to what I did then. But I just knew that that was wrong. So that was thing one. And I felt lost, by the way. I had no idea what to do. The second was with myself. So I was actually into marathons and triathlons. And I mean, I've completed 15 marathons. I've done a couple ultra marathons. It's been a while since I started having kids. I think I've retired my endurance, but, and not, you know, just trained to finish, but clearly that's a lot of effort to do those types of things. And when I was getting ready to run my first marathon as a dietitian, I told myself, you know, in order to prove your worth, if you're going to practice sports dietetics, you have to get a really good marathon time. And I randomly chose a sub four hour marathon without really having hired a coach to help me train to get there. I just did my previous run, walk, train to finish program. And I was a student and all these other things. And so I decided I would get better at my time if I lost some weight before the race. So I decided to do the South Beach diet. And so on South Beach in the induction phase, you can't have carbs, like not even fruit. (laughs) And like carbs are the primary fuel for marathons. (laughs) And so I remember vividly after doing like a long training run and I was hungry and it was berry season and all I wanted was some fresh strawberries, but they weren't allowed on the program. So I went into my refrigerator and grabbed what I could have, which was a giant homemade, well, I bought it, but it was made from scratch of whole milk ricotta cheese. (laughs) And I finished the whole thing. Oh, restriction mindset, eh? (laughs) Yeah. And when my spoon scraped the bottom, I was like, what are you doing? Because it wasn't the first time I did anything like that, but it was like, you are the dietitian, you know, sports nutrition, you are the exercise physiologist. It was like something else took over my mind, right? That feeling of inadequate, you need to have this certain achievement to prove your worth. Okay, let's do this thing. And it was like, I just said, I can't. 
I don't know what to do next. I don't know what there is. I did great in school because I learned all this diety stuff. I don't know what there is, but this isn't it. And then real quickly, the third thing, it goes back to my mom and, you know, she was a chronic dieter. We would sometimes diet together. And there were a couple of times in our life where she lost around a hundred pounds and just to weight cycle back up. And she was very restrictive and growing up, I did not realize that it could have been an eating disorder. And what happened is she was driving one day to work and she had a heart attack and thankfully she lived and she did not injure anyone else. She got quick medical attention, but she did have to have a quadruple bypass past surgery. And, you know, my mom is also a smoker and smoking is linked to heart attack risk, but she also would restrict and then binge. And I didn't even know what it was, but when I, I don't live in her area. So when I flew out to stay with her, I found empty containers, empty candy wrappers, receipts totaling a couple hundred dollars a month in food that my dad was like, no, I wasn't with her. And as it turns out, when I finally completed the whole picture, not only was my mom a chronic dieter, but she soothed with food. She dealt with depression that went unnoticed and untreated. And she developed binge eating disorder as a way to regulate her emotions and survive. Now, I mentioned in the beginning that we grew up lower income. I mean, we had government food assistance at times. We were constantly stressed to make the bills. And so what's fascinating about that is when you think of how socioeconomic status can influence if you don't have health care, somebody gets untreated depression, it can lead to eating disorder. And you know, you can't really say, oh, well, dieting caused all this. But the whole point is that my mom needed care that she couldn't get. And none of us could see it because we all always focus on the weight and we all congratulated her when she was at a lower weight and her needs were not met for forever. That, and I didn't realize that at that time. Cause I was like, oh yeah, you know, we're going to get you on the healthy track mom. But that's when I knew those three things. I was like, this is not what I want to do forever. I'm broken right back to our brokenness. Yeah. I'm broken. My mom's broken. My clients are broken. I don't know what to do. And It was an evolution and a journey. And that is what I really want to say. There is no magic wake up is I'm still learning and growing. Okay. But that was in 2007 and it just really took a lot of time to understand. And some basic things I was introduced to was intuitive eating, which I ended up the co-authors of that are Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch. And Evelyn Triboli is a dietitian who supervises. So I got supervision with her. I also went to a wonderful place. A fellow dietitian runs it. It's called Green Mountain at Fox Run, and it's in Vermont. And I actually said, hey, I'm a new dietitian. I want to help you with social media and sales and da-da-da. You know, so they gave me some free time there. And, like, I was totally hiding that I needed help. And after the first day when I met her name's Marsha Hudnall, when I met her and we had lunch and I just started crying because I was already being impacted. And she's like, look, you know, I want to talk to you about intuitive eating and mindfulness. And there's something called health at every size, which is like about respecting your body. And I'd really like to help you. And that was a big week where I could just hit a reset button, but then feel some hope that there was something else better out there. I just needed to find it. I have the goosebump as you're telling your story. (laughs) It's a beautiful story. And it's a story that's very similar to mine. And I think what's beautiful is that you are in a place where you can share with people. It's not one quick fix because people take the diet mentality, which is the one quick fix, the pill or whatever, the calorie Mm -hmm. count. And then they want to employ it as their solution to healing. 
Mm-hmm. And healing is a longer journey with a series like you of one, two, three event, and then people come into your life that introduce you to health at every size, and you were ready for it. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. you just plunged into it, and then you are who mm-hmm. you are today. Like it's a process, and that you mm-hmm. are able to talk about that. It's very beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. And I would just add one thing. I definitely felt ready for it. I was solution seeking, but I also felt a lot of uncertainty. Yes. You know, and it was hard to trust that I knew what was around the corner. Mm-hmm. And I printed out a phrase and it's the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. And I just would follow that. Like, what is the next step? Because that's what it felt like mm-hmm. even a hundred thousand mile journey. I don't even know, but I just kept telling myself, it's okay not to have the answers. It's okay to be uncertain. What's the next best step that's better than what you were doing. <laughs> and then here's where you are today. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break from our chat to give a shout out to our show sponsor, Health IQ. And I am so excited to be partnering with them and bringing you forward an innovative insurance company for the American listener. Health IQ helps health conscious people like yogis, runners, cyclists, weightlifters to get lower rate on their life insurance. Just like you save money on your car insurance for being a good driver, Health IQ saves you money on life insurance for living a health conscious lifestyle. Isn't it time that we get rewarded for our good health choices? Now, how do you get started? Very simply by qualifying through the health IQ quizzes. And also, listen to this, if you submit actual training data through the various apps available, you can save additional dollars. To get started now, simply go to stephaniedodzie.com forward slash health IQ and take the test to see if you qualify. And when you get to speak to an agent, mention the code beyond the food to support the show. So get started now on saving money on your life insurance. Now a shout out to our other show sponsor, Muse. And I'm very grateful to team up with Muse to bring you the first tool in the world to help you learn to meditate at home. Muse is a wearable brain sensing headband that measure our brainwave and sends the feedback to an app on our personal device. I love my Muse because it transforms my meditation practice. I wear it daily for my 10 minute session in the morning and it coaches me through my practice by giving me real time feedback on what's happening in my brain and helping me refocus during my meditation. I love this partnership with Muse because it brings the tool to the first timer and it helps expand the practice of the more advanced meditator. So it's time for you to get your Muse on and learn to calm your mind through meditation. And here's the thing, as a listener of the Going to Beyond the Food show, you get 15% off of the purchase of your Muse. To take advantage of this offer, simply go to stephaniedodzie.com forward slash muse. And again, the URL is stephaniedodzie.com forward slash muse and register through this URL to get 15% off. So join me in my 10 minutes meditation practice every morning and get our muse on and go beyond the food together. 
So today, Rebecca has a philosophy that's called body kindness that you've developed through your own journey, the one of your clients. So let's start diving into what is body kindness and how does that help us where we are today? Yeah, thank you. So body kindness, it's basically a way of guiding yourself for those who want to create a better life. And so if that sounds good, like I want my life to be better and more meaningful, we need to practice being good to ourselves. And that's not something that is very easy because we actually all have a very, very strong inner critic. And this inner critic can start to develop as early as one. And that's when we become aware of our surroundings and we absorb. So this could be from our family members, our caregivers. It could be from what we hear in schools and, you know, and then you imagine as, as you age, and I know that sounds young, but there have been studies that have shown three-year-olds have had body awareness and have had the ability to be able to identify what fat looked like and able to associate that fat was a bad and undesirable thing. So this becomes a voice of who we are because it just feels like us. It's what we always hear. And if it goes unchecked, it can really lead to a lot of pain in life. And so body kindness is about cultivating your inner caregiver. It's not that the critic really goes away. It's just you learn how to strengthen and empower your caregiver voice so that you can make choices with compassion and instead of shame. And it has tools to help you acknowledge the critic while you still practice body kindness and practice being good to yourself. There are three pillars and they're simply make choices from a place of love, whatever that means to you, connect to your body. Hmm. Your body is wise and it can tell you when you need things. And then the third pillar is care. And that means to be fully committed to taking good care of yourself. That's amazing because you're using different word, but you're basically saying the same thing as me because the subconscious mind, and this is how I teach women, the subconscious mind impregnate the words that are said around you before the age of 10, mm. right? And that's mm -hmm. where our self-identity is built. So if mm -hmm. our self-identity is built around the fact that we have extra weight and that's not a good thing and we're not looking good, we keep that our entire life. Mm -hmm. And it's like the little voice that plays in our head constantly and influence our choice as we're growing up. Mm -hmm. And we do not develop this. I love the title inner caregiver. Like, yeah, if we don't take care of ourselves, who will? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think even when we're not taking care of ourselves, we will show up in the world and give and do our best. But in a lot of ways, it's a mask. It's not our true self. It's hard to be authentic because you're really just trying to put on, this is what needs my attention right now. And inside it, it just drains you. It just drains you a little bit more. And so, yeah, it's interesting because when I talk about putting yourself first, before I became a parent, other parents were like, do you know what it's like being a mom? You know, and I was like, well, I don't mean like, sorry, kids, you can't have breakfast. But it's that idea of securing your oxygen mask, which don't laugh, but I actually have a real one. You can buy them <laughs> online from like old airplanes. <laughs> and when I need to, I pull it out and I do the little demonstration for clients. And then 
have them hold it. I have them tell me what is this for? What do they say? And it always works. They get that meaning. They get that. Yes, I know what you mean that I've got to do some amount of self-care and inward focus, right? Like self-ness work in order to really keep my energy going for the people and things I care about, but also to allow that to reach its full potential. So let's go to the place of making the link between I want to lose weight, Mm -hmm. but I want to be kind to myself because I understand intuitively that that's the right thing, but I Mm -hmm. still want to lose weight. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How are the two or interacting? Yeah. So what I would say is that one of the best things we could do is say the words, of course, Mm -hmm. right? So it's like, of course you want to lose weight, right? That has been the message for a very, very, very long time. And we also have a culture that highly values that. And we want to be valued. We want to know we fit in. So I actually like to make space for the desire to lose weight. You know, people will have different sources of information. Anything from one example is, well, I lost my spouse and what got me through that was eating and there was a weight gain period. And now I want to get back to where I was before or some sort of similar story with maybe some restriction and then binge like weight cycling type behaviors. And so it's not that the desire to lose weight is quote wrong because you got to look at all the factors that have put that desire in there. But if you can make space for that desire and actually say, it's okay, it's okay to be straddling this problem of wanting to lose weight while I also realize that pursuing weight loss is no longer working for me. And at that very critical point, then you can reframe the focus of What are the types of things that I have an interest in doing because they provide other benefits, right? And it could be physical, like movement helps me sleep and sleep is important to me. Other people will say movement is like my antidepressant, you know, and there's actually some studies that show that that is correlated, positive emotions and mood with movement or, you know, quote, healthy, balanced eating fruits and vegetables. You know, you get your vitamins and minerals, you support your immune system, you get enough fiber for good digestion and, you know, you get the energy levels that you need. So, so there is a fair amount of reframing, like think about what you would do that you would like anyway. And can we change the reasons and the meaning for these things to come from a place of compassion instead of shame, cultivate more joy as opposed to punishment. And then through those, you know, reaffirming practices of why you're making these self-care choices, you just kind of let the desire for weight loss sit there and see what happens as time goes on. And it all depends. Some people, when they're giving up on the weight cycling, they may lose some amount of weight because they've given themselves the time and the space to overcome some of their biggest eating problems and they've gotten active and gotten really interested in something. And if they do, that's their body's way of saying, this is a weight range where I can comfortably maintain. And it would not take a rigid diet or pills to get there. The vast majority of people would likely not lose weight. That's just the statistics of it. But if you believe that 
you can earn a better life. And if health and well-being, physical and mental are important to you, more important than the weight loss, then there comes a point where people feel more ready to make peace with their bodies and work on their body image, which is frankly one of the last things to heal. So it's less about the, oh, in order to do this body kind of stuff, I have to be ready to give up that weight goal. I don't think so. I can't imagine how that would be so easy for so many people. I think it's much more about what's the kindness? How do I cultivate compassion instead of shame? How do I accept myself even when I want things to change instead of saying I am the problem? Why don't I look at the actions that are bothering me and start there? I think it's a very, very powerful approach because mm-hmm. one of the things that I'm challenged with sometime in the body positivity or health at every size movement is the complete denial of weight loss. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. when we want to approach the average women out there, the one that was listening right now, mm-hmm. complete denial of her desire that she's had for 20, 30 years that I've had since the age of 10 years old is actually pushing her away. And it's pushing her away from learning body kindness and learning to nourish her soul, which will get her to a place of loving her body in a few months, a few years. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, I think that, well, let me make a clarification about health at every size. I would say it is a philosophy that it's really a social justice issue in the sense of... With respect to the health component, it's not saying healthy at every size. In fact, there's a great FAQ section on the website that created health at every size Mm -hmm. that says, you know, what the studies show is that the extreme ends, so extreme high weights and extreme low weights are the weights that are correlated with an increased risk for chronic diseases or early death related to weight, but that there is a vast array of size diversity And one of the simple analogies I like is dogs, right? So there's poodles and there's mastiffs. And like, maybe let's not try to make a mastiff look like a poodle, but let's try to help them both be healthy, right? And so that's how I like to take it. And and even the principle they have, it's about life-enhancing well-being that is connected to individual interests and also financial means. You know, I mean, we could use Gwyneth Paltrow's goop and how expensive all that stuff is, but even needing to go to Whole Foods or eat what's on Whole30 or go to Weight Watchers. Like there was a study on Weight Watchers that showed that you end up spending $8,000 a year to be part of, you lose two pounds or something. But you know what I mean? It's like, it is a lot of money that is not accessible to the vast majority of people. And what about what we could do with that money that's actually helpful in giving us a better life? You know, whether it's movies out, a book, family time, vacation, like things that we're depriving ourselves on because we're working on fixing our broken body. So that's what I would clarify with health at every size is Mm -hmm. that there's this other idea that we want to be careful about the idea that our individual choices can make or break our health. Like, I don't think we want to be applying shame if somebody gets cancer, right? Mm. And so if somebody gets diabetes and they're at a higher weight, we would tend to blame them. There's something that they did wrong. You know, and the reality is plenty of thin people also get diabetes because it's largely genetic. Or another example I could think of, 
the biggest loser trainer, Bob Harper. Thankfully he survived, but he had a very life-threatening heart attack and he said it was genetic. And frankly, I think he got that privilege because he was thin. And I think if a higher weight person had the same heart attack and survived, they might not get the same privilege. So that is a social justice aspect of health at every size is like, can we just offer the same respect and rights for people, no matter what they weigh? Mm-hmm. And can we let them pursue health in personally meaningful ways? And so part of the challenges with body positivity and fat acceptance, it really has to do with strategies for creating cultural shifts. So we're talking, we work with individuals, right? But there are things in our culture that makes it hard for individuals to do what they do. So when you see a fat activist, maybe posting a picture of like a double bacon cheeseburger and is like, screw you society or something, you know, as health pros, we may wonder the value of that message, right? And it may look confusing, But really, when the dominant message is a skinny white woman drinking a green smoothie, you can see why you need to have Mm -hmm. some outpouring of voices against that. So for our work, we're going to work with people and say, if you really want a double bacon cheeseburger, let's talk about how to make that mindfully and joyful and make it as good. And you don't have to say never have that, right? But you also don't have to choke down grass-like tasting $10 smoothies. All day long. (laughs) All day long. And so there's just an interesting nuance to understand. And I talk about something called NMPs, not my people. And so it's kind of like the phrase, good for them, not for me. And so you might look on your social media feed. And if there's people you're following that are all about fitspo and it's really unhelpful and it makes you feel miserable, start to unfollow them Mm -hmm. and start to follow people who are more in the body positivity space. You don't have to agree with everything they're saying. And if somebody is saying something that you think is unhelpful to you, I would just unfollow. And honestly, that goes for my book. Like, I hope people buy the book and read it. But if there is anything that you see in the book that is just not helpful for where you're at, I mean, I highly recommend you find a black magic marker and exit out, rip the page out, set it on fire. You can email me and say, Rebecca, this part was really unhelpful to me. And I'll say, thank you for using your power of knowing what you needed and didn't need. And that is how I think we should move through this. Let's not try to find out how we have to fit into body positivity when be like everyone else. Let's have permission to be exactly where we are, but let's have a respect for why the movement is there. Mm -hmm. And let's figure out what feels good to us personally. That's a beautiful way of putting it, because Mm -hmm. part of the reason we are where we are today here listening is because of the shame that was put on weight. Mm -hmm. So those activists, the people that are doing the work are actually helping us move towards more acceptance, because there will be less society judgment on how our body is today, which will allow us the space to accept us even more. Mm hmm. Let's go down the path of the spiral down and the spiral up because around body image, body acceptance, that Mm -hmm. triggers a lot of what you call spiral down. Yeah, sure. So the idea of a downward spiral, if you can create a visual of that image or like a tornado, if you can't really think of anything Mm -hmm. else, right? It's a funnel. And as you move down the spiral, it gets more narrow and more closed 
right? You can imagine kind of feeling constricted, almost harder to breathe and more disconnected from things that matter, be it your family, your friends, your work and the world really. And so it's normal to have the array of emotions and some negative emotions kind of lead into downward spirals. But if we learn to regulate these emotions and first we don't tell ourselves you're not allowed to feel pain, you're not allowed to feel bad, right? When we have permission to feel the emotion, but we can notice it, then we can actually say, Ooh, you know, I'm feeling really angry at my partner and I want to soothe with food. Then we can pause and say, it's okay to be here. It's okay to have this feeling. It's okay to want to do this. We are now in a more mindful space where we can think about what do I really want to do? And for some people, maybe actually, I really do want some ice cream, but I'd like to enjoy it, please. (laughs) And for someone else, it might be like, you know what? We need to sleep on it. We'll talk about it. But the fact is that you can make a better self-care choice that is more engaged and more in line with your values. And when you do that, when you notice a downward spiral, you end up neutralizing it, get re-engaged with your well-being, and eventually you will realize that you will start spiraling back up again because positive and negative emotions are very fluent and they change. And so that's just, you know, the beauty of fleeting emotions. Sadness doesn't last around forever. And so when we can realize and visualize this spectrum and give ourselves full permission, literally, it is okay to be here. When we can do that, we can get better at noticing our downward spirals, noticing that trusting it's going to go away, but really thinking about what's the next self-care choice that I think is really meaningful to me in this situation. And that's just why I love mindfulness so much in our attunement to our body and to what our needs are. And if you think about it as women, as caregivers, I mean, we're kind of taught, I have no needs, right? I mean, even dieting, don't eat. I have no needs, (laughs) you know? So this idea of, yes, I do have needs and it's okay to feel this bad emotion. You can actually experience many more upward spirals than downward spirals. And they've done research in positive psychology that have shown when we're spiraling up, we are more open. Now imagine that top of the funnel. It's the most open, the most connected, the most engaged, and we're likely to feel more positive emotion than negative. And that has been shown to boost both short-term and long-term happiness. Mm. So if happiness is on that spectrum for you, this is another reason to use the spiral up metaphor for cultivating positive emotion. And a lot of those spiral down are triggered by often the very same thing. I mean, because we don't pay attention or we're not aware of them, we keep repeating the cycle. Mm-hmm. So exactly. the simple solution is awareness to begin with. And the number of time you will spiral down will reduce with the practice of mindfulness and awareness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Until something big happens in your life and then, you you know, (laughs) exactly. Because that's part of life. I think that's part of the problem. We expect it all to be some like pretty organized, contained thing. And it's actually filled with lots of messes. And that's part of the beauty. So you do have the book, the body kindness book, but you also Mm -hmm. have retreats. Yeah. 
Yep. So I do workshops throughout the year on my website. It's bodykindnessbook.com slash events. And you could check out what is going on this year. I have a couple that are planned so far. And the other thing that I do is virtual retreats. And so what I'm finding with surveying my body kindness insiders, which is a free way to stay connected with me, folks were asking for, I want to connect with you in real time and everything, but I also have limited vacation and I want to go with my family. So what are some other ways we can engage? And so, for example, I have an interactive retreat coming up on radical self-acceptance. And so things like that you can get on my website as well as for free. You can become an insider. And I have this mini course kind of get started with body kindness. Even before buying the book, you can read the free chapter to see if it's for you. I've got a video for those who are used to tracking in apps or whatever. I have an alternative for you. So it's on PDF form, but there is some stuff about if you're tracking nutrition instead of calories and all that, more about tracking balance on your plate, tracking your sleep and your movement. And, you know, like, have I practiced kindness today? So again, like I mentioned earlier, if there's something you don't like in the book and rip it out, the same thing with this tracking tool. If you want to kind of detox yourself from overthinking tracking, this could be helpful to help in some early planning and whatnot. But if there's anything on there that you really feel like you don't want to track, you just kind of ignore it. But that's free. It's on my website when you go to bodykindnessbook.com and you click get started. That will show you all about what I have available that you can kind of get going right away. Let's talk a little bit on radical self-acceptance because Mm -hmm. I think that could be something interesting for many listeners. What is that workshop or virtual retreat about? Yeah. So it's this idea. So interestingly, the visual I have for it is some Kintsugi art. Okay. So it's the broken bowl with the gold. And so the idea is that we often think that we're broken and we're trying to fix ourselves, but what is really broken is not in our ability to accept ourselves, but what's really broken is recognizing our own worthiness as we are right now. Hmm. And then we use radical self-acceptance as a tool to practice that with what is currently going on in our life and even exploring some things going on in the past. So it's video-based and there's videos, there's reflective journals to take time and complete. And then there's a Facebook group as well. And so it's all supported. And yeah, I think it's a really good idea. I think it's a great place to begin the journey because many of the listeners are in that awareness that they need to practice body kindness. And that's why I wanted to have you on the show because your book is the perfect guidance tool for them. And some of you listener may be ready for that journey of radical self-acceptance. So this workshop could be a great tool for you. So we'll link to all of that in the show notes. So stephaniedoze.com slash 117, and you can get the virtual retreat and then the book as well from Rebecca. I really appreciated our time together. I think the work that you do, Rebecca, is uh, very powerful and looking forward to connect more with you. Thank you so much. It's been a joy. There you have it, girls. I hope it touched your heart the same way that it touched mine when I first came across body kindness. And I'm grateful that you were here with me sharing this experience of talking to Rebecca. And remember, if this episode can help someone in your life, please share the episode directly from your phone or from the show notes. 
with that woman in your life that can benefit from hearing this message. Also, if you want to propose to me a title or a question for the next show, show 118 is not yet recorded. I'm keeping the slot open because I want the people who will attend the How to Stop Overeating Without Willpower and Discipline workshop Monday, Feb 19, to be able to submit their question for the next show. So yet, I do not have the title or the content of the next show because I will wait for you to show up at that free workshop to submit your question. Because when I do the workshop at the end, I open for Q&A, so everybody that's in attendance has the opportunity to ask me a question. I'll stay as long as I have to to answer all your questions, and from there, I'll pick the title and the content for the next episode. So I hope to see you on Monday night, and maybe you'll be the one creating the show 118. And again, you can register for that workshop at stephaniedoze.com slash webinar or in the show note. I love you. And I'm looking forward to hang out with you Monday night at the workshop and in the next episode, 118. Bye. Did you know that nine out of 10 women are struggling with their relationship to food? Overeating, emotional eating, binging, and craving are real. Clearly the solution we have been taught aren't working. I believe to have food freedom, it means that we must learn to have a relationship with our hunger so we can finally be at peace with food and eat normally without guilt or shame, which is why I wrote the Crave Cure Guide. I want to show you how to have a completely different relationship with food so that you can be in control of what you eat, achieve your goal, and be the powerful woman you were meant to be. The best part is this book and the step-by-step process is absolutely free. To receive your free copy, simply go to stephaniedodzier.com forward slash guide and we can get started right now.